We don't understand women. We don't try to understand them. We give them a pill and then we don't even understand what the long-term negative repercussions of that pill is going to be. But here's the biggest problem. This further disconnects women from their bodies that they already are disconnected from. From a very young age, women are taught to completely disconnect from their bodies because the world does not understand it. And so medical gaslighting is something that you have probably seen in the media as of late, and it's something that disproportionately affects women. And that is that women are going into their doctor and saying, I'm experiencing X, Y, Z. And the doctors are saying, you know, that's all in your head, or that doesn't exist, or it's this thing, this autoimmune disorder that we don't understand. And we're going to give you, you know, hormone replacement therapy, or you need to go on antidepressants. I'm Sarah Gustafson. I'm Angie Check. I'm Jesse Golden, and this is the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. Welcome back to the Holistic OBGYN Podcast, everybody. Kayla Osterhoff. She's an MPH. She's a PhD candidate. She is really one of the few people out there. And uh, this is why I brought her on the show. Who I don't throw the word expert around loosely or, or, or very easily, but man, she is very, very well accomplished and well researched and well well experienced as a practitioner in the neuropsychophysiology of women's health. As you know, women have not been this, the the center or the um, the focus of a variety of of research out there. And that's because of ethical considerations around, you know, what might happen if we do these things, if we don't know that they're pregnant, all this other stuff. So what we end up doing is we take data from um, men, right, in understanding their anatomy, their physiology, their neurochemistry, and we try to just translate it and, and apply it to women. But if you're experienced in the biohacking world, and you maybe as a woman, you've tried these various techniques from cold immersion to sauna to different supplements to red light therapy to fasting to ketogenic diets, all of that stuff. If you've tried it and not found that it helps you or maybe it actually seems like it hurts you, that's because we don't really have the research. But Kayla and um, people like Kayla who work with Kayla, they're doing this incredible work. Her program is called Her Biorhythm, where she walks you through the four stages of the menstrual cycle. And you know what we're talking about are the sex hormones, but those sex hormones are not just related to ovulation and menstruation. They're related to every, they impact every one of the body systems. So we will walk through that very, very carefully in this episode so that you can take some of her insights. And if you want to do her training, go to herbiorhythm.com. I took her training. It is fan freaking tastic. It's, I feel like it should be requi required reading for anybody who has female clients with health issues. This really gets to the uproot causes of issues. It helps us modify lifestyle from exercise to nutrition to sleep, everything in between, 
such that you're doing it at the right time of your cycle. This is everything, guys. This is one of the more exciting episodes and interviews that I've gotten to do since launching the Holistic OB-GYN podcast. Um, and by the way, speaking of podcasts, I'm going to be rebooting the OB-GYN-O-YNO podcast where each episode is a summary um, with some personal anecdotes and experiences um, from my uh, role as a holistic gynecologist, a home birth doctor, and a functional medicine practitioner. Um, each episode will be covering one of ACOG's practice bulletins or one of their committee opinions. Um, so stay tuned for that. It's called the OB Gyno Wino Podcast. A lot of people found me originally through that before I launched this podcast, and now I'm going to reboot that and do a complete rehearsal of every single one of ACOG's statements on everything related to obstetrics and gynecology. Um, so if you're new to this podcast, this is my offering to the community, to the masses. Most of my listeners are female, but fortunately, we have a lot of men who are starting to listen to this, to these interviews, because men, you are a part of the whole equation. If we want to fix society, we need to fix how we care for women. And many of us men have women in our lives. Almost every man has at least woman, one woman in their life. And if you're a practitioner, you need to really, really appreciate the nuances of women's health. And I, as a man, have had to do extra work because I don't experience a, a monthly bleed. I don't ovulate. I don't go through the variety of hormone vacillations that Kayla and I are going to get into today. So this podcast is my offering to the community, completely free at charge. I hope you enjoy it. And if you do, please share these episodes. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to, to, to your podcasts. Um, we're also on YouTube. So this episode in particular is going to be really, really helpful to see it. Um, listen, listen once and then go back and watch it on YouTube because we have visual aids that will help you sort of guide you through this conversation. Um, but of course, in order to make such a high quality show, we have to have a couple sponsors. So there are a few companies that I hold very, very near and dear to me that have actually helped me continue to, um, to do what I do here at the Holistic Obituary Podcast. The first is We Natal. There's a, a lot of prenatal vitamins out there. If you go to your grocery store, even the fancy grocery stores, you're going to see a hundred different options, many of which are not going to get you the very bare minimum, the bare essentials um, from a nutritional standpoint to support you, your placenta, and your baby from preconception all the way through postpartum. But We Natal is an exception. We Natal has adequate amounts. You're going to find adequate amounts of choline, vitamin D, methylfolate, not folic acid, methylfolate, and all of the B vitamins and magnesium and everything else that you could possibly need as an insurance policy to a healthy diet, healthy exercise routine, healthy sleep hygiene, stress management, etc. Um, WeNatal has a special offer right now. If you go to WeNatal.com slash beloved and you purchase any prenatal product, and bear in mind they have women's prenatals and men's prenatals. These are helpful for fertility. They're helpful for getting your health dialed in before that baby arrives. And after that, trust me, guys, you're not going to have as much time to dial in your nutrition and your health uh, once this new baby arrives. Your attention is going to be very much split. The, the days of running around in the woods, doing cold plunges in your you know, local lake any time of the day, multiple times per day, getting rock hard abs and boulder shoulders, that will be different. You can still do it. I have worked hard to maintain um, some of those things myself. Um, but getting your nutrition guys dialed in now is critical. So if you have a glimmer, 
in your eye of having a child, you and your partner can go to wenatal.com slash beloved, purchase any prenatal product. I recommend just ordering their his and hers, then you can take them together every day. You're going to be taking only three capsules versus the 10 capsules offered by many other um, very, very high quality prenatal vitamins on the market. You're, you're going to experience um, a, a far more conscious, uh, very eco-friendly packaging system um, where there's going to be a lot less waste, and you're going to get a free journal in order to help guide you through some of the mental and emotional facets of having a baby, again, from preconception all the way through postpartum. And when you purchase a prenatal um, product using that code or that link, again, it's wenatal.com slash beloved, you're going to get a free bottle of their Omega DHA Plus, one of the highest quality fish oils on the market. And it's an another necessary component to the insurance policy to ensure that you and your baby have all of the nutrients that they need. Um, that you need and your baby needs uh, well into the postpartum period. So again, the code is wenatal.com slash beloved. Get your free bottle of Omega DHA plus with any prenatal purchase. Um, this episode is also brought to you by BirthFit. So I have trained with BirthFit. I know the owner, Lindsay Cantu, very well. She's a former CrossFit gym owner. She's a very, very, very well-respected chiropractor in the field. And she and her team have put together an incredible offering at BirthFit. You can go there and learn from women in a community made by women in their B community. You can learn about how to um, how to optimize your postpartum recovery well in advance, how to move in pregnancy. Yes, it's safe to exercise in pregnancy, but you need to dial in a couple things. You need to be considerate as to how uh, how much weight you're loading, how you're stabilizing your core. What is the core you know to begin with? How can you support the pelvic floor? What breathing patterns are important now that you've got this big old uterus growing with a baby inside and your diaphragm doesn't expand as much. What about your postural alignment, your spinal alignment? All of these things are relevant in most of your everyday, whatever, health coaches or exercise fitness professionals are not going to have those insights. But BirthFit is the exception. In their B community, you're going to be able to um, share stories, gain insights. This is where it's at. This is where you go and get those questions answered. This is why I'm such a big fan of BirthFit. You're also going to enjoy webinars from a variety of experts in the field. And if you want to just check out their courses and their program, you can also go to birthfit.com and you can select from their postpartum basics or their foundations course. They've got tons of programs there, and I'm so happy to have them here as sponsors of the podcast. Thank you, BirthFit. If you want to check out their stuff, go to birthfit.com and use code BELOVED. That'll either get you a month free in their bee community, which is what I recommend. If you're already getting close to the point of having a baby and you just want to dial in one aspect like postpartum essentials, how do I get back to moving? What does that laying in period look like? How do I nourish myself? Um, you're going to get everything you need, nervous system oriented, strength and conditioning, breath work, care for the pelvic floor. It's the whole package. You can use code BELOVED and you get 20% off their postpartum basics course as well. Again, it's birthfit.com. Super stoked that they've continued to support the show. And then last but not least, a company near and dear to me, they came out and were representing at my recent Twins Breach Conference. This is um, Immune Intel AHCC, active hexose correlated compound. It's made from the mycelia of shiitake mushrooms, and it has been clinically demonstrated to provide a range of benefits to our health. For starters, it's helpful in clearing persistent HPV. They have done in vivo, meaning in human trials, that have demonstrated that this supplement alone, without changing anything else, 
can help you clear persistent HPV. You couple that with healthy dietary changes, um, better sleep hygiene, better stress management, um, connecting to something bigger than yourself, getting your your sort of negative or whatever self-talk dialed in. The healthy lifestyle on top of Immune Intel HCC is everything that you can be doing while you're waiting for a repeat HPV screen or repeat pap smear. Your doctor has said, oh, let's have you come back in six months, we'll check it out. And if anything has changed or progressed in you know, a, a less than favorable position, you know, a, a direction, um, for lack of better terms, then you might be finding yourself um, undergoing a painful biopsy or maybe even a leap procedure or a cold knife cone procedure where they lop a chunk of your cervix out. You do have things in your power and Immune Intel HCC has been a mainstay of my supporting women who do have these unfavorable results when they go to their, their routine well woman exams. Um, Immune Intel HCC has also been demonstrated to help with liver disease, autoimmune conditions, skin disorders, um, uh, treatment resistant epilepsy. There is a variety of benefits that can come from this. That's why I do a bottle of Immune Intel HCC, two capsules twice a day. Um, right here. I take this every quarter, actually every four months or so, so three times per year, because I know it's going to be beneficial. Flu season's coming up, that period of, the, of, 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 our, of our year when we see our immune system start to kind of, you know, wobble a little bit, we get, you know, these, this propensity to, to get sick from viral illnesses and everything in between. This is an important way to boost your immune system. And it does that by boosting your NK and other um, types of T cells, um, which are helpful in scavenging precancerous cells, but also in optimizing how your immune response, um, making it more robust and balancing that immune response out so that you don't have systemic inflammation from an overactive immune system, but rather an immune system that is only jumping into action when absolutely necessary, which is critical if you've struggled with persistent HPV or maybe even some precancerous cells found on pap smear. Um, go to themedicine.com slash products and use code BELOVED10 and you'll save 10% off your first bottle. And as a little spoiler, there is going to be a big offering coming from my community in conjunction with the creator of this product, Mimi Linquist, in the coming months. So stay tuned for that. It's really around everything that you'd like to know around uh, about Gardasil 9, HPV, vaccines, the immune system, cancer, all of that stuff. So that's a little, as a listener, you're getting a little teaser ahead of that. But Immune Intel HCC is a mainstay of my counseling for women who do have some of these gynecologic issues. All right, without further ado, it is my pleasure. My new bestie, Kayla Osteroff, PhD candidate. She will be a PhD officially come December, but she still has to wear that little PhD C after her name. But that in no way um, takes away from just how vastly knowledgeable and really um, lovely she is and how she explains some of these concepts. So enjoy my conversation with Kayla Ostroff of HerBioRhythm.com. Kayla, what do you do with all these degrees that you're collecting? Like, would you where do you have them in a box or like on the wall of the the camper van? Like, what do you do with all your degrees? 
Oh my gosh. It's so embarrassing because I've got all these degrees and then I have a whole stack of certifications and they're all sitting in like a box up in a store, up in my attic storage at my house that I don't really even live at because I most of the time live in a bus up in the mountains. And so that's where they are <laughs> doing, doing a lot of great you know, we could, uh, we could have like a little trading card session where uh, you could give me an MPH and I'll give you like, you know, some like an MD, like we'll just trade. Yeah. I've got, I've got mine in a box somewhere. My wife jokes about it. She's like, what are we going to do with this? And I'm like, yeah. I can't get rid of the diplomas, but I don't have an office where I like proudly display them behind me. Instead, I've got a flaming uterus flicking the world off. You know, it's just a different life for people like us. <laughs> it is. And I'm about to get one of those too. So I will proudly present my flaming uterus over any degree. <laughs> It'll be considered a gift from the Holistic OBGYN podcast. Um, Jeff's going to get working on that. Jeff, you're going to craft this by hand in your workshop, right? Jeff's our producer here. Um, oh I love it. <laughs> So Kayla, you are, uh, you have a really sort of special thing, a special offering for the world, which is shockingly simple, yet I think very, very hard to implement in today's modern society. I want to comment on where you're at right now. You're out in the woods, you're out in nature, and you're still f managing to, to sort of work with technology to make this happen. Um, there's some relevance to that. There's, there is some sort of natural inclination that we have to want to be in alignment with certain rhythms of nature. Um, we could call, you know, we could look at the lunar cycles of nature. We can look at how the earth becomes very, very active, at least through the lens of biodynamic farming, active in the winter as all the stuff is being developed under the ground. And then in the summer, this, the earth goes to sleep and all of this life appears above the earth. There are these phases, these rhythms. So, Tell me, um, why don't we start by just talking about the menstrual cycle? You know, I think yeah. most listeners are going to understand what that means, but let's go through the four phases of the menstrual cycle. And um, by the way, guys, if you want to learn more about Kayla, herbiorhythm.com is the website for now. Um, careful with your spelling of rhythm. It's one of the harder English words, but we will put the, uh, the link in the show notes. Go and check it out. Th this is one of those programs that when I... When I took it, I've actually gone through the content twice. I'm still studying it because while it's so simple, it's very, very hard to get clients to appreciate that there is a way to eat, a way to exercise, a way to sleep, a way to show up as, um, as your cycles change. So let's go through the four phases first, um, and then we'll, then we'll build on that conversation. Absolutely. And I'd even like to back up one more step to what you were commenting about, about nature. Um, you know, we all as humans have natural rhythms that we are best to operate in partnership with, in tandem and tandem with, in flow with. And um, from a societal standpoint, um, the the overarching societal rhythm that we have set the pace of society to is um, in alignment with the male biological rhythm, which yeah. is good news for men. Um, but it's not so good news for us ladies because our biological rhythm is very, very different and it does not match <clears throat> this um, kind of consistent 24-hour repetitive um, expectation that society has. Productivity we, or bust. Yeah. 
Yes, yes. And even to go another layer deeper than that in, you know, this difference between the male biological rhythm and the female biological rhythm is even looking deeper at things like the male neurology versus the female neurology and what gifts lie there. A gift of the male neurology and the male brain and the male cognitive function is productivity. Mm. The gift of the overarching gift of the female neurology, the female brain and cognitive capacity is a little bit different. It's more about creativity, creation, which operates on a different time schedule than productivity. Not that men, men and women can't be creative and, product, and productive, of course they can, but there's a natural propensity that happens with men and women based on their neurological disposition that also <clears throat> is trying to guide them into alignment with their biological rhythms. So the male biological rhythm is, like I said, just this 24-hour repeating system that is very consistent. Um, it's reliable. It's pretty much the same day in and day out, although throughout the day it's different. It follows the circadian patterns. And this is really driven by cortisol and melatonin, which is a 24-hour repeating system. In the female biology, we have, of course, the circadian rhythm, which is set to the pace of the adrenals and the melatonin. Excuse me. However, um, our biology overarching, our, our global physiology follows the pace of a different timekeeper, which is the ovarian hormones. Um, so I know we actually have a, a description or a picture of this. Yeah. So um, for those of you tuning in online um, or driving or cannot see the little photo here, this is a depiction of the female biological rhythm. And what this is, it shows here that the menstrual cycle or the ovarian hormone cycle is just the centerpiece of what Mm. this really is, which is the global physiological impact of that hormone cycle. So the ovarian hormone cycle, which is the ebb and flow of estrogen and progesterone operates on a 28 day long operation, which means that the female biological rhythm or the global physiological impact of that cycle is a month long biorhythm. And that has impact on everything in a woman's biology, literally every single thing. You can't ask me about one system within the female biology that is not impacted and modulated by the female ovarian hormone cycle. And so this includes the respiratory system, the endocrine system, the metabolic systems, the nervous system the brain, the immune system, musculoskeletal system, the cardiovascular system, literally everything. And of course, the reproductive system, which is the only one that we really study and understand. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And we do a poor job of that because something that uh, a piggyback on what you're saying, this is a very elegant system and you're probably going to be studying this for the rest of your life as am I. I mean, it's just, it's in, it's elegant and complex and way beyond the grasp of any sort of linear way of thinking that we've been incentivized to to grapple with, whether it's in surgery, the use of pharmaceuticals, this is way beyond that. And the reason that I think we know so little 
is that women have not really been the center of the the majority, let's just say, of scientific um, inquiry. Yes. Um, partly for ethical reasons, partly because I don't think people have ever really appreciated that there is truly a dynamic um, shift that's happening here. And we can't look at one moment in time. Um, yes. But we've then we've then look at we've studied men because women get pregnant and we don't want to do anything like that. So we study men and then we and then we sort of um, we conjecture as to what's going to happen in the women's you know, in a woman's physiology based on what mm -hmm. we see with men. But as you've already described, those are so different. So maybe yeah. could you talk a little bit about the androgens? Because, you know, we don't, we do talk about sex hormones and we focus mm -hmm. on FSH and LH from the brain and estrogen and um, progesterone from the ovaries and the, you know, actually the gonads, whether you're male or female, but also the adrenals. Um, and then I think we look at men and we're like, oh, testosterone and DHEA are the only two things that matter. Can you just like riff on that a little bit? Because I, I think people still yeah. are stuck in that, that paradigm. Well, I think one of the core pieces that men and women are missing is that it's not about the sex hormones in a, in, in a um, vacuum, right? Yeah. It's so complex and interconnected. With men, there are less moving parts, so it's a little more simple. And because the vast overwhelming majority of data that we have on human biology is male-centric because we've really only studied male biology for the reasons that you mentioned, um, because of that, we have a pretty, a pretty good understanding of how to support the male um, kind of neuroendocrine cascade, their hormones, the interaction between hormones. Um, but there is kind of this, um, this centerpiece of hormonal um, thriving for both men and women that is the interplay between the adrenals, the sex hormones, and insulin. Mm. So what I call this in the female system is the female hormone trifecta um, that I actually really deepened my learning about this through one of my mentors, Dr. Nisha Winters, who is an oh, yeah. amazing oncologist. I don't know if you've had her on your show. If not, no. you've got to get her. Um, okay. I'll connect you. She is <laughs> like, she's like the guru of hormones and um, she is an oncologist. So she focuses on cancer and the metabolic approach to cancer, but she knows everything there is to know about hormonal interactions for women and men. And she's just a genius. Um, and she really highlighted for me the importance of this hormonal trifecta, which is the interaction between sex, stress, and sugar, right? Oh, you just described the adrenal cortex, right? Yes. <laughs> Apart from salt, but you know, salt everywhere. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and I like to keep things as simple as possible because we're dealing with something that is so complex and we could really get so deeply complex with all of yeah. this yeah. Um, because there's a lot more moving parts than just that. But if we want to simplify it just to focus on those three things for men or women, we can probably influence and improve and optimize their health overall just by optimizing these three things and understanding that it's like three legs of a stool. If you knock one out, you're going to knock the others out. Yeah. yeah. What is the largest issue that women are dealing with today? Burnout. 
adrenal burnout. But why is it such a problem for women? Because downstream, it's burning out their sex hormones and they're becoming infertile, experiencing PMS, having issues going through menopause, um, all of these things that we have normalized as a society, um, like PMS, which is not actually a thing. It's just a categorization <laughs> of symptoms that women have related to their cycles that doctors don't really care why they're happening or want to spend the time figuring it out. So they're like, oh, you know, it's PMS, take this hormone replacement yeah. and uh, go along your way. Well, that has its own issues, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but if what we really looked at and we understood is it's actually not, the, the symptoms are showing up on the sex hormone side, but what's actually causing that dysfunction? Most likely it's cortisol dysregulation, which then knocked out the yeah. insulin regulation which right. then later down the road, both of those knocked out the sex hormones. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's that simple. Um, and getting men and women to back up and just reflect on these three core pieces of their health in terms of hormonal regulation of the whole um, global system. Usually there's one of these areas that every single one of us can improve on and work on. And, a lot of times people are standing on trying to stand on only one leg of the stool and the other two are completely gone. Right. And then eventually the whole thing gets wiped out. Yeah. So sugar, sex and stress. It sounds like like an upcoming Red Hot Chili Peppers album or something. <laughs> um, so um, I want to you know, for those who can't see this visual, what you've basically done is you've 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 really started at the center. You know, our um, we'll call them just our our ovulatory cycle. Um, I actually can't read this center, oh, ovulatory hormone cycle. So the fluctuations in hormones, the vacillation between these four, predominantly four is what we talk yeah. about in, in, in obstetrics and gynecology. But based around that, you have these this flowering sort of Venn diagram, which really links all of the other body systems. So if we're going to appreciate the influences of these hormones, we can't just think of this as an on-off switch for reproduction. This is vastly more complex than that. And I want to follow that, that what I think is kind of like the, an ultimate truth that gets me in a lot of trouble by saying that. Um, is with the second big truth that that I think really gets me in trouble, which is we are passing out birth control, hormonal contraception like candy oh, for every one of these systems that's laid out here from your respiratory to your immune, to your musculoskeletal, to your cardiovascular. And then of course, all of the typical women's health issues, everything gets better with birth control. But it's it, that that is like the most dim-witted way to look at a, a a woman's neurophysiology and i think we're actually potentially doing more harm than good what oh, say absolutely. you <laughs> uh yeah i have a lot to say about this but i'm going to try to keep it brief even though this makes my blood boil yeah, um because <laughs> here's the issue and we're going to back up to a global societal view again we don't study women, therefore, we don't understand their bodies. Therefore, we don't understand how to support them in their health. Our medical doctors get zero training on female biology. They get zero training on this, what we're talking about. They get a tiny bit of training if they go into a women's health specialty about what's called bikini medicine, which are understanding the parts covered by a bikini, the reproductive parts, right? Medicine. Oh my God. Yeah. Go so on, that's crazy. basically what women's health has been boiled down to in our society. 
everything else is is ignorance. We don't pay attention to this global physiological impact that is the difference between men and women um, and, and affects every single thing. And so because our doctors are confused, they don't have any training, they don't understand the female biology, they say, well, you're coming in with a series of symptoms. We categorize that as PMS or whatever, um, you know, mostly PMS, but some kind of hormonal dysfunction. And instead of trying to figure out why is your body giving us these cues, telling us something is wrong. What is causing that dysfunction? We're right. like, nah, we'll just give you a pill, which will put a bandaid on the symptom. And we're going to just, um, you know, turn off those cues, turn off what your body's saying, because we don't understand it. And we don't want to take the time to understand it. We got to move on. We have 10 minutes with each That's patient, right. take your pill and go home. Yeah. And so women are doing this. There's a couple of major things that are wrong with this. I mean, there's a hundred major things wrong with this, but two major things that are wrong with this that I see. And it's not even necessarily the impact of this medication on the body, which, you know, we could have a whole podcast about that. Go listen to Dr. Nasha Winters if you want to go more down that path and learn about exogenous hormones versus endogenous hormones, there's a whole pathway to go um, along that route. But here's my problem. We don't understand women. We don't try to understand them. We give them a pill and then we don't even understand what the long-term negative repercussions of that pill is going to be. Yeah. But here's yeah. the biggest problem. This further disconnects women from their bodies that they already are disconnected from. From a very young age, women are taught to completely disconnect from their bodies because the world does not understand it. And so medical gaslighting is something that you have probably seen in the media as of late. And it's something that disproportionately affects women. And that is that women are going into their doctor and saying, I'm experiencing X, Y, Z. Yep. And the doctors are saying, you know, that's all in your head or that doesn't exist or it's this thing, this autoimmune disorder that we don't understand. And we're going to give you, you know, hormone replacement therapy or you need to go on antidepressants. These are kind of the two options that we get as women. Nobody wants to understand what's actually going on in our body. Why is our body speaking to us in this manner and telling us something's wrong? Why are so many women experiencing the same symptoms and it's just getting categorized as PMS, which is not a thing? It's it's a vicious cycle. <laughs> I'll so get off the soapbox now. No, no, please. I'm, I'm actually going to get you another bucket to put on top of that and a chair so you can get a little higher so those in the back can hear. So I was recently survived a TikTok shitstorm oh. um, when I suggested, hey, I don't think we're doing a fair shake, giving women a fair shake by just prescribing, you know, hormonal contraception, um, specifically the pill. Because we know, I mean, we actually already know, like, there's all sorts of anxiety and depression cropping up in young women. Um, as you know, they did a million plus woman study in Denmark that looked at this and depression and anxiety are absolutely associated with, it's hard to say causation with even the best RCT, yeah. but we have a depression and anxiety crisis on our hands. Should we not just start considering 
maybe by giving people synthetic women synthetic ethanol estradiol and various progestins that this might not be the best thing long term. Um, so I had said something about this and, uh, and it wasn't just that it's also the gut and nutritional deficiencies and your thyroid and your liver and all these other systems, as you appropriately pointed out in your course, that are linked to this. It's not just a matter of suppressing ovulation. So I said yeah. this OBGYNs came and sort of pro started prodding me and I snapped back in a nasty way. And I said, well, you guys are in the call room snarfing carbs. I'm over here reading literature. And what I always tell people is the best way to hide something from an OBGYN is to publish it. Oh, and they got really fucking fired up. And, um, but I stand by what I said. Like, yeah. if we are not willing to ask questions and get to know um, our clients and look upstream for what it is that's actually, you know, causing these symptoms, and we're just going to palliate it with a pill which is available right behind me on this, this chest of drawers given to me for free along with a Panera lunch from, you know, Merck or whatever. Um, if we're, if we're going to keep doing that, we may potentially be doing so much more harm than good. And I also think there's good reasons for some women to take birth control. I'm not saying I'm not yes. for that, but one last thing while I'm, 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 I'm up on my soapbox, which is hearkening back to something you had said, Women have inextricably link, been linked with nature in such a variety of beautiful ways. Now we're going to give you this pill and cut you off from your own natural rhythms. That to me is actually on a um, sort of psychosocial level is actually even more problematic than perhaps yes. the, the pathophysiology that arises from chronic COC use. Okay, soapbox, back to you. A hundred percent. And that is the problem is we don't understand women. Because of that, we're not educating women about their own bodies. As a young girl, somebody should have given me the map of my body, the operational guide to this female biology. Nobody did that. And guess what? I followed the path of almost every other single woman or every woman will experience this at some point because of our ignorance. I went through full adrenal and hormonal burnout to the oh, point yeah. where my female hormones were so flatlined that my doctor was like, you know, this is basically what I would expect to see in a postmenopausal woman around like 80 or 90. And I, yeah. at that age, I was in my like mid twenties. So it, it's a huge problem. That's what actually wow. shifted my whole mindset around this because I am trained in health, in medicine, and I was unable to take care of my body. Why? Because there was zero training zero. along that path in female biology. Yeah. And yeah. so that's where I kind of detoured and went down my own path. Um, to really focus on women because there's so many things that we're missing. There's so many blind spots, um, but there is some good information out there. And my work to date has been to do this research and compile all the existing literature that is out there that gives us more information about the female biology and put it together in this comprehensive way to give women a map of their bodies. How do I navigate this complexity? And also give women acknowledgement. You are different. Yeah. You have different basic biological needs. Not only that, you have different basic biological needs four different times throughout the month. You're very complex. Mm. You shouldn't be following the same routines, guidelines, treatments, 
lifestyle workflow as your male counterparts, even though that's the expectation. Right. Right. What happens when we do? We burn out just like me, just like every other woman that I know. Right. Right. Amen. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, man, I kind of want to get into adrenal fatigue, but I actually don't, I think we have plenty of other stuff to unpack. Maybe we can bring that into the conversation later. And something I'll share as a preface is that while I thought it was just an adrenal issue, I didn't realize that perhaps while pregnant alone and DHA supplementation and sleep and all that would be helpful, I didn't realize that actually the hypothalamus and the pituitary were actually probably more responsible for what's happening at the adrenals. It sounds crazy that I didn't ask yeah. that question, but I was looking at it. I was so myopically looking at it that I, f I failed to realize that, oh, crap, I forgot about every one of the other feedback loops. And maybe the fixes for these things are actually happen happening centrally as opposed to peripherally in our adrenals. But maybe we yeah. can weave some of your experience with that in because I sure. think that that is a central issue right now especially for my fertility clients who are struggling and, um, and the, their yes. men are as well. I mean, we're all kind of in a state yeah. of some, some degree of HPA axis dysfunction. But um, before we get into the four phases of the cycle, that was the longest, most elegant, badass intro ever. Um, you're a PhD candidate. What is your, your dissertation on? And what will you say your PhD is in come December or whenever, um, whenever they crown you? <laughs> yes. When I get to wear the wizard robes across the stage finally, yeah. which I am yeah. looking forward to, you know, the Harry Potter looking. Um, oh my God. Outfit. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be great. Like um, a mumbling <laughs> hat on your head, yeah. figuring yeah. out what, what house you're in. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally the only reason why I went the extra six years to get the PhD was just to get the wizard robes. So, you know, a long white beard is a sexy look. I'm just going to throw it out there. You, you might want to consider a new path here for how Kayla is going to show up. Just, you know. Well, okay. hey, had I continued on with my hormonal burnout, I would have had a full beard by now. So, <laughs> would have been God, an you're amazing. That is an awesome, <laughs> that is an awesome, um, Bravo. Okay. <laughs> so, um, um, yeah. so, yeah. So your PhD would be in, in what? Neuropsychophysiology. Um, <laughs> and um, it is my uh, dissertation research is mapping neuropsychophysiological biometrics across the four phases of the female biorhythm. Hmm. It's a long time. Amazing. <laughs> oh, it's, no, that's amazing. Yeah. So, so I guess getting into, I think that's a really nice segue for us to actually talk about what this, what this menstrual cycle thing is. A lot of people yeah. in my world still struggle with ovulation versus menstruation. When somebody's, when a woman is bleeding, they're like, oh, she's ovulating. And it's like, no. I don't know <laughs> how many years of school is required for us to kind of shift our idea around this, but there are four distinct phases and you're going to have changes to every body system throughout those four uh, phases. So Excellent. is there an image that you want me to bring up for this one? Because we, we might have a visual aid. Yeah. If you wouldn't mind bringing up the one that just has the four um, hormonal phases. You got it. That got show it. the ebb and flow of estrogen, progesterone, luteinizing hormone, and follicle stimulating hormone. Perfect. Um, why don't you start describing it as I'm... <laughs> Yeah. Getting my so, thumbs working here. <laughs> absolutely. So um, first, you know, we're going to stop or we're going to start with that heartbeat of the female biological rhythm. But as I'm describing the menstrual cycle, please remember that this is just one tiny component of 
what the female biorhythm is, which is the global physiological yes. impact, which is every single other part of our bodies that is set to the rhythm of this. And so um, this uh, depiction is showing us the hormonal patterns that happen across these four phases that um, I have little nicknames for. I'll tell you what they are because um, when I'm talking about the biorhythm, I'm talking about, remember, greater than the ovarian hormone cycle. But the ovarian hormone cycle phases are menstrual, follicular, ovulatory, and luteal. And it's in that order. So the menstrual phase, which is what I call the shed phase in terms of the global physiological impact. Um, again, these are just my nicknames. You don't have to use them, but I like them better. I like yeah. them. I'm gonna, I, I use them now. I, I think they're really, they're really lovely. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it connects us back with nature again and the seasons. And, um, and, and so I think, you know, the female biological rhythm is so brilliant and it's so deeply connected with nature and mirrors um, the, the cycles that happen naturally in nature that I like to bring us back to that. So, Phase one is the menstrual phase. And this is typically, you know, around days one to five of the female hormone cycle. And this phase is marked by being the lowest hormonal phase in terms of all four of these hormones that we're talking about. Um, estrogen and progesterone are the ones that we're really going to focus on because as far as we understand, estrogen and progesterone have the strongest global physiological impact on women. So these two hormones are at their very lowest uh, point during the shed menstrual phase. As we move away from that phase into the next one, which is the follicular phase, um, and I also want to mention these phases don't fit in their perfect little box and they're not separate from each other. Um, for instance, as many of you probably are thinking and know, the follicular phase actually encompasses the menstrual phase. But what we're talking about in this instance is starting from the end of menstruation through the rest of the follicular phase. And this is what I call the planting phase. Um, and this is about days six to 13. And hormonally, what this is marked by is a steady rise to a peak in estrogen specifically. So estrogen starts to become the star of the show during this phase. And when we get to, um, in just a little bit, the, the physiological picture, the global physiological picture of this, um, this is driven by these, these significant hormonal changes. So estrogen is taking the stage and becoming the driver of the physiology um, or the physiological changes in this phase. Um, then we get to this kind of middle point of the whole biorhythm of the whole female hormone cycle. And that is the ovulatory phase in terms of the ovarian hormone cycle. This is a very short phase. And it's more of a phase shift than a phase in and of itself, because it's very short. It's one to three days. Um, and if women track their ovulation, um, you will notice that this is a very short time period over the entire month. However, it's very juicy. And it's one that we want to pay attention to because this is a great point for women to be able to leverage cognitively, neurologically, metabolically. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But this is what I call the bloom phase. And it's usually when women are in their blooming point of the month um, or their peak point of the month. And this is when there's a lot of amazing hormones in the body. There's 
a peak in estrogen, luteinizing hormone, and follicle stimulating hormone. So it's a very hormonal time, but um, in not the negative connotation that you think of with PMS, it's like a it's a positive um, hormonal aspect. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't hear you. Sorry, somehow I muted myself. Um, so during of uh, during ovulation, I mean, this is when women oftentimes feel fucking gr great, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, this is when women are like feeling their very best. They are like at their peak of the month, and we'll talk about why that is and how to leverage that in, in a minute. Yeah. Um, but going from this phase, we're we're shifting. Remember, this is a phase shift too, and we're going into the whole back half of the ovarian hormone cycle, which is labeled as the luteal phase. Um, and in the female biological rhythm, I call this the grow phase um, because this is more about growth and um, and resilience in this phase, even though this phase gets a bad rap because at the end of it, we get that dreaded PMS. Um, and we'll talk more about that too. Yeah. But yeah. what happens in this phase is that there's a complete shift in the hormonal focus. And estrogen is, and, and luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone, they have really fallen off the peak um, and have gone back down to a very, very low levels. Um, and throughout this phase, there's a little bit of a boost of estrogen in the middle, but that's not really the important part. What's important is that there is a significant rise to a peak in the other key hormone, progesterone. Progesterone is like the undersung hero of women's biology and health. Um, this is my favorite hormone, mostly because it does some really cool things to our brain. And I'm oh, yeah. a brain nerd. Um, and we'll <laughs> talk about that. But um, but this is when progesterone takes the star, the stage, and really is driving the physiological changes that happen throughout these next two weeks. Um, so now that we have an understanding of just this basic hormonal rhythm, let's talk about the rhythm of the physiology. Um, so if you could bring up the other slide that shows some signatures. Of the yeah. 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 So yeah. let me also add, I think some people listening may also, there's a couple little things that people get confused about. So if I may just add a couple little things in there that I know people Please. are going to be wondering. Um, hang on. Let me bring up the signatures page first. I think this is it. We sharing? Great. Okay. So for those of you listening, of course, if you want to see it on YouTube, go find the Holistic OBGYN podcast on YouTube. In the podcast description, you'll see a link there. But the uh, reason we have visual aids is is Kayla's course, which is, again is at, at herbiorhythm.com. You get this really great sort of illustrative way of thinking about these four phases in order to make a very, very complex thing very simple, which is why, Kayla, I love your work so much. Um, and we have to always sort of take our own conditioning into, into mind. I, I will share without, I mean, I've, I've said this before that after four years of residency, when I was in fellowship, only then did I realize that there was a shift, like a true shift in the cervical mucus around mm -hmm. the time of ovulation. Like I had never even heard a whisper of that before. Oh yeah. So that was kind of my entryway into like, well, what else changes during the cycle? And then I was like, holy shit, like I missed a whole textbook or something worth of information. And that's not my fault necessarily because I went out and sought it, but most yeah. OBGYNs don't even understand this. So that textbook it, doesn't even exist. I know exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Needs to. Yeah. It needs to. Maybe we can write that one. Maybe it can be one of our oh, books. Absolutely. In the 
I have to get through a, a book that I'm going to write called Lies My OBGYN Told Me, and then that one will be next, okay? Okay. Um, Deal. <laughs> so, so a couple other little factors I wanted to, you know, to to cover is so we've got the we've got your bleeding part of the the, the cycle. That's your shed. Now, from that point until ovulation, which is when your follicle ruptures to release an egg, I want to clarify this a little bit. A lot of people use follicles and eggs or oocytes interchangeably, but the follicle is actually this beautiful little endocrine organ of its own that then ruptures. Um, and, and those follicles, multiple follicles on each ovary are going to be developing during that planting phase. So you get mm -hmm. this, this, this stimulus from the, um, from the brain, the anterior pituitary will release follicle stimulating hormone appropriately named. And it's telling all these follicles to grow, 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 grow. And then bam, at some point, one of them dom dominates and in response to luteinizing hormone, an egg is released, which is what is going to meet the sperm. And that follicle after the ovulatory or the bloom phase, as you describe it, during that early grow phase, reorganizes itself into a separate endocrine um, gland altogether called the corpus luteum, which is what is pumping out all of the progesterone in the event that egg meets sperm and then a little embryo wants to implant in a safe little harbor inside the womb space. So I, I just wanted to throw that in there so that if anybody has ch you know, trouble with some of these terms that they can go back and listen to both explanations and lay them on top of one another and and maybe it'll make a better, you know, a little bit more sense. So anyways, yeah, sorry. That was sorry beautiful. Um, thank you for that explanation. And I'm going to have to go back to this and capture that little uh, clip of this uh, of this <laughs> interview to send to my students because I'm, I'm never able to explain it that eloquently. So thank you. <laughs> oh, you're, you're so welcome. I, I did not mean to step on your toes. I also no, realized right. that men and women alike, we just, like you said, we don't get education in this. So yeah. Um, so that's the basics of of what's happening in around fertility and everything else. But anyways, go ahead. Let's talk about the physiologic yeah. signatures of these four yeah. phases. So not all of us care that much, depending on where we are in our life, about fertility, right? But we all care about the rest of our body. We care about how we operate in the world. We care about our energy levels. We care about our metabolism. We care about our mood. We care about our connectivity. We care about our cognitive capacities. And all of this stuff is changing in each phase driven by these hormonal shifts. So starting in the shed phase, when we're talking again about the global physiological impact, what I call the female biorhythm, um, in the shed phase, again, this is the lowest hormonal phase in terms of estrogen and progesterone, these two key drivers. And during this low hormonal phase, there is a downshift of the global female physiology in general. So you can kind of think about it as like a downshift in the car. Everything kind of slows down, um, priorities shift within the body. There is less of the conversion, the metabolic conversion of food macros um, into fuel through the citric acid cycle. That whole process slows down and generates less ATP, which is the fuel, the energy for the body. At the same time, there's some other metabolic shifts, which we don't have to go into all of those right now, but related to glycolysis and things like that, that also um, go into this downshifting. And what that means, the translation of this, is that women have naturally lower energy levels during this phase. And that is supposed to happen. It is not something wrong. 
at the same time, there's some neurological shifts that happen, that happen as, a as a result of this downshifting as well. One of those, or, or some of those neurological shifts are that the excitatory and mood-boosting neurotransmitters also take a downshift. So this is serotonin, epinephrine, norepinephrine, glutamate, um, uh, you know, all of these excitatory dopamine um, uh, neurotransmitters all have less activity in the brain during this time. So a woman's mood is actually more subdued. And through cognitive skills testing, we also understand what this looks like um, in terms of cognitive capacities. Women have more of an introspective uh, state of mind during this phase. Also, there's some great benefits that come along with this, which it doesn't seem like there would be benefits. It kind of seems like all that is a bummer, right? Like, great, we're downshifting, we're getting a lower mood, we're getting less energy. Yes, but it's all brilliantly conducted mm. by nature for a purpose. And we get insight to what that purpose is when we look at what the cognitive capacities are and how they shift in each phase. So in phase one, women get this more introspective state. They're actually less social and um, less outwardly focused and interactive. Um, and at the same time, they have heightened intuition, which is what the scientific community calls cognitive empathy during this phase. And so if you think about it, how brilliant is that? The body is saying, hey, you know what? We're going to take your outward focus and we're going to put it inward. We're going to kind of downshift you. We're going we're gonna to make your energy less and your mood a little more subdued so that you can take your outward energy and focus it inward and tap into the extra intuitive insight that women get in this phase, meaning that they have a higher ability for discernment, decision-making, assessment during this time. So for myself personally, I leverage this phase to do more of that introspective type of work and in my actual workflow um, in the world, this is when I do more of my assessment um, allocation type of work. I'm planning for the month to come. Strategizing, I'm, yeah. Yeah, well, mm -hmm. it's less about strategizing, it's more about reprioritizing. Oh, I see. Um, okay. Because strategy actually becomes a gift of the next phase. So we'll go into that one now. Yeah. Um, in the next phase, it's the plant phase of the female biorhythm. And this is marked by that steady rise to a peak in estrogen. So estrogen is the key player here. As estrogen rises to a peak, so does the metabolism overall. And there's this higher um, production of ATP energy for the cells. There's this higher rate of metabolism generally. Um, and there's more activity of these mood-boosting and excitatory neurotransmitters. So all those ones that I mentioned before that make us feel like we have more energy, we have a higher mood, and we're more likely to be outward focused and interact with others. What's really cool is, again, going to these cognitive shifts. And there's all kinds of shifts that happen in the brain as well, which we're not going to go deep into that today. But what's important to know is it causes neurological shifts that have a great impact on our cog cognitive capacities in each phase. And with this phase, what we see is that women have heightened emotional intelligence and they have this heightened navigational strategic ability or to ability to think strategically. 
So if you think about it, it's kind of like this perfect puzzle. As long as we follow it, as long as we don't fight against it, as long as we allocate our resources, our body's resources smartly and don't burn through them, then we can tap into these beautiful gifts in every phase. So in phase one, we're slowing down, we're introspective, we're doing our assessment type work, we're allocating our resources, we're determining where things need to go, we're shedding the fat, right? We're shedding what yeah. no longer serves us. Um, the next phase, we're taking this plan that we put together and we're putting it into action and we're being strategic and we're interacting with our teams and other people because we have this heightened emotional intelligence. We connect better with other people. We understand other people. The connectivity between our brain regions is heightened during this phase and we're actually getting more um, information processing on a global scale. So that, and that's why women have this intuitive um, and, uh, and cognitive capacity where they can connect with others and read those unspoken cues about emotions. Um, so that so really that's emotional. Is that what emotional intelligence is? I mean, I, yes. I have my own kind of understanding, but how yeah. do you teach that to somebody? Maybe you can go a little yeah. bit, just a little, a little below the surface there in order for people to understand yeah. what the heck this is. Yeah. So um, in the female brain, there's a lot of um, differences. And one of those is that women have these denser neural networks um, within, well, most, the, most of the brain, there's denser neural networks, but within certain regions, including the prefrontal cortex, the hippocampus, and the hypothalamus, and also there's more denser neural networks that connect between the two hemispheres of the brain that, um, that are related to this emotional intelligence um, that women have uh, in a more heightened capacity than their male counterparts. And specifically in the higher estrogen phases, we see we're able to measure this using brain imaging technology and cognitive skills testing, which is really interesting um, because now we're looking at the female brain also as a cycling organ. It's not just the reproductive parts. The female brain also cycles um, and it goes through these different four phases and has different capacities um, in addition to the general different capacities that men and women have, which there are a lot as well. Right. Um, so that's why I say actually that women are four different women across the course of a month. Um, and we have to honor and support all four versions of ourselves every single month. Amazing. Gosh. So, um, so it's maybe, maybe I'll wait to share this until we're all the way through the four phases. But okay. what I'm hearing is that from the time that you, you know, go through your menstruation or even stop mm -hmm. bleeding until when you feel fired up and revitalized at the, you know, around ovulation, that you're actually in, in almost like an inward kind of state of assessing your surroundings and really kind of trying to figure out where everybody else is at and figuring out where your attention and focus might go. And then once we hit the bloom phase around ovulation, you're like a bat out of hell, like you're ready to just take on the world. Am I understanding that right? Yeah, it's actually kind of like starting in the plant phase. It's like a ramp up. It's a beautiful ramp up. So it's not like, oh, you know, sorry, ladies, we only have one to three days per month that we're like 
able to do everything that we want to do and more. That is true. We're at this peak, but also, you know, all through the plant phase, we're ramping up, ramping up, ramping up and getting these extra capacities. And then it comes to a peak at bloom. And then we still have it, you know, for, for a few days after that as well. Um, but as you're going to see, every phase has its, has its own set of gifts physiologically, mentally, cognitively, um, each phase has its own kind of set of benefits. I think that's all. I think that is such a lovely way to, for people, something for people to take away from this is that we're not saying one of these phases is good or bad. No. I mean, we have demonized menstruation for a variety of reasons for millennia, right? But like, there's actually a real great gift to menstruating mm-hmm. and to bleeding. I mean, beyond even the, the obvious, you know, um, the sort of quality that it's kind of a, a, a vital sign in and of itself, you know, Lisa Hendricks yes. and Jack, the fifth vital sign. Like if you're not having regular predictable bleeds roughly 13 times per year, there might be something for us to explore upstream. But even yeah. beyond that, it seems like on a um, psychological, energetic, uh, metabolic kind of uh, point of view, you actually could could harness these an understanding of these phases to really to your benefit and to your oh, advantage. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is what we should all be taught as young women in preparation when we're about to go through that shift through puberty. We should be taught how we can celebrate these these changes that are coming and how we can operate in harmony with the ebb and flow of our body um, and even be taught how that connects with the ebb and flow of nature and how it's all perfectly designed and beautiful and it's supposed to be that way and it's not meant to be something that we fight against. Um, yeah, but unfortunately we do, right? Um, especially it's, it's easy to see in for instance, the shed phase, when our body is telling us, please slow down. I'm, I'm forcing you to slow down. You need to listen to me because I'm going to give you these gifts if you do. But we don't. We drink extra cup of coffee. We take yeah. all the supplements. We work out really hard. How many of your clients have said, oh, I just pushed through. I just pushed through. I mean, yeah, it's it's like it's like me looking in the mirror as well. I mean, I have recently started surrendering to sleep and my wife is so proud of me because it'll be like eight o'clock and I'm like, I think I got to go to bed at nine. Like, let's watch a little bit of a TV show. No alcohol tonight. I think I just need to listen to this. But I've never been incentivized to slow down. And I think many women have not been incentivized to listen to their bodies because if they can't keep up in the workplace, then, you know, then they get criticized for not being a hard enough worker or whatever else. But um, which is such a bonehead thing for us to be, you know, demanding that women keep up yeah. in that way. But, you know, we won't. We won't. Well, you know, there is a big social commentary here. And honestly, this is the one yeah. of the greatest yeah. focuses of my career is looking at our world economy and looking at these corporate structures and and bringing awareness where we have made some wrong steps. And, you know, all the rage is diversity, inclusion, and equity. This cannot be achieved until we understand women's basic biological needs and we start to design structures and systems that align with it. We need to allow women to ebb and flow with their bodies, with their abilities. And if we can do that, the whole world is going to change. And really, this is something that is highlighted on significantly in society, there's a pivotal moment right now with this Barbie movie coming out, right? Let's talk about it. (laughs) I love it. So, okay. So um, it's kind of sweeping the nation as this 
amazing, uh, very conscious movie that nobody thought it was going to be because it was supposed to be like this spoof, right? Um, and then we go watch it and mothers and daughters and grandmothers are weeping through the movie and coming out and feeling so empowered. And, and some men are coming out feeling the same way and very curious about women, but some men are coming out feeling kind of disempowered by the movie. And so it, it raises the question, what's going on here? It's a per- perfect picture yeah. of what's going on in our society. Yeah. We have ignored women. We have ignored their needs. We have designed a Ken world and asked Barbie to, to operate in it and just suck it up. And what we have done by default is in a lot of ways, we've, we've honored Ken without even knowing that we did. We have dishonored Barbie. We're hurting her. We're burning her out. We're forcing her to fit into a male shaped box. And the reason why it's unconscious is I don't believe it's on purpose. It's because our world is built on what? Productivity. Productivity is the gift of the male neurology, right? right? right and right. it aligns with the male biological rhythm. Why is the world designed this way? Because the world is designed based on data. The data that we have is male centric. So it's just kind of like a whole ignorant uh, conundrum. But if we bring awareness to it, which is why I'm loving the Barbie movie, because I'm like, hey, yeah, let's acknowledge women. Let's acknowledge that they have been disempowered. Let's acknowledge that we've maybe made some mistakes, even if it is not intentional. They have still been made, right? We have designed largely this Ken world. We're expecting Barbie to operate in it and just figure it out. But that is against her nature. Her nature right. is, is not designed that way. So we need what we need in the world is we need to figure out, yeah, okay, what's the ideal Barbie world? But that's not, that's still not the answer. We need yeah. to combine Barbie and Ken world and make a place where everyone can be included, where everyone can be in harmony with their body, where everyone can operate at their highest level, where everyone can tap into their cognitive gifts. This is the world that I keep in my vision and what I'm working towards. I, so my wife and I have pretty we've known each other since we were 15 Kayla. So we have grown up in through adolescence, through the weird twenties into our thirties, now nearly into our forties, have two kids. We separated for two years and went with other people. And then the stars, brought. I mean, it was like the whole thing. Yeah. And we've had to grow quite a bit. Um, she being sort of my emotional guidepost in some regards, at least from an intelligence, uh, from an intelligence standpoint, and so we've gone really deep into some of this, these types of conversations. And we went to see the movie, a friend of ours, they rented out the whole theater and um, we had like a big costume party with all this stuff. And um, the message from that movie within 20 minutes, I was, it was like, I know what they're doing here. Like this is obvious and the movie itself actually sucks, but it's, but yeah. it's, but, but like, it's not a really great movie, but it's almost <laughs> like, it's almost like they made it really shitty because I don't think that men would have been entertained enough if we did it as a documentary or whatever. Oh, and, no, no. It's gotta you know be Hollywood. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's like, it's just the most absolutely ridiculous set of characters and different scenes and all of that. Yeah. But, but, to call out that, I mean, this is something I've been preaching now for decades and people think I'm just like this sort of like, like he's just this 
faux feminist just wants the attention. I'm like, I, I have absolutely nothing to gain from that. Yeah. And I'm looking at this again through the lens of birth control and and the reclamation of or the, the, the claiming of birth by the white coats from the women caring for women. And like I'm coming at this from so many different directions and some of the little corollaries to this conversation end up getting us in trouble where people think oh, yeah. that we're, we're like anti-women's liberation and we're yeah. all these things. Like as if I'm implying that women should just be, you know, they should just stay at home and take care of the kids and be in the kitchen where, where they belong. Yeah, I'm not saying that. And there is actually something to that, which is that like women are not supposed to be going and working 80 hour weeks at a, you know, in an office with no. all of this stuff and expected to do that while breastfeeding. And they're going to make babies for us and they're going to do yeah everything else like it's it can't just be enough now that you're yeah that you're connected to your own biology and in your, yeah. your own nature and that you can take your foot off the gas anymore like yeah. that is that is seen as like antithetical in some ways to the feminist movement in the in the you know the the um whatever the plight of women you know yeah. over several generations now so this is troubling waters for me so i'm glad that you're here to kind of just wax philosophical about this a little bit yeah um you know i got some backlash um a few months ago because i posted something that was meant to get people's attention um and of course they only saw the headline they didn't read deeper but what i said is you know i'm not a feminist and here's why and it was not about anti-feminism. Um, it was about showing where we missed the mark with the feminist movement. The feminist movement did not achieve what we thought it would achieve, right? Yeah. Um, and the human rights movement has done a lot for women. The feminist movement itself, at least the media version of the feminist movement, has um, created a little bit of this us versus them mentality. Oh, and yeah. that's what I'm feeling from this Barbie movie as well. Um, I feel I see women come out and they like feel acknowledged for the first time and they feel empowered and they're like, oh, my gosh. And they're feeling great. And men are coming out feeling like, um, you know, they have been disempowered somehow. And so I was like, okay, this is really, really interesting. I'm actually running a little research, a private research study on this, getting people's feedback as they come out of the movie theater, because I want to dig deeper into this. Um, but I think it's the same problem with the feminist <laughs> movement. It's that we really, the whole point is that we're trying to be, um, inclusive and fair for everyone and create an equal playing ground. That's right. But but the playing ground cannot be equal if it is standardized for men and women. Right. It has to be different. Right, right. There right. has to be a different world for women and a different world for men, but we have to merge them together. And right now, whether men want to acknowledge it or not, we have designed a male-centric world and we are expecting women to be plopped in and operate within it and mm. thrive and mm. it's never going to happen it's, so we yeah, need it's, to open our eyes <laughs> yeah like i heard two guys at uh i was waiting in line to get um at the grocery store at rainbow blossom here in, in kentucky and there were these two guys there who were both in like gym shorts and cutoff shirts and they were pretty jacked and and i was like oh you know like yeah 
they're getting their smoothies or protein shakes. And, and uh, they were, they started to like talk about sports as most men do. I don't know anything about sports. I played sports my whole life, but I don't keep up with statistics, but they were arguing about who the best athlete of all time was. And they were like comparing Michael Jordan to Tom Brady. And I was like, how is that a fair, like apples and oranges? That's like saying, I mean, it, so it's kind of like saying, you know, if, if we want women to be, um, if we want to be able to compare men and women, we can't put, we can't really even put them into the same sort of no. game. We no. have to let them do what men and women biologically do best. Yes. And then we can try to compare, but it's like yes. Michael Jordan doesn't play football. Why would, how could you possibly compare him to Tom Brady? You know, yes. it's, it's something as simple as that, but for whatever reason, maybe historically our cultural narrative has just made it yeah. hard for us to peel back that superficial reactive layer and, and get to the heart of this. So Anyways, yeah. man, you, you and I could, <laughs> we're, we're going to have to do a part two. Yeah, yeah we're just, let's go start our own island nation and we'll get people who, who are willing to be thoughtful and open-hearted about this. They can yeah. come live there. Um, uh, anyways, I, I think I, yeah, right. We'll start it in, actually, we'll go, we'll be in the mountains of Georgia yeah. outside of Atlanta. Yeah. Perfect. Um, so I didn't mean to derail the conversation so much, but uh, I guess we did. We already make it through Bloom. I can't remember. Oh, we kind of did. So with okay. Bloom, you know, this is a very short time, but it's a very fruitful time period. It's what I call um, the charismatic phase for women because women actually have more influence at this time point of the month than they do any other time. Um, and it's because of this cool hormonal cocktail that they've got going on and this neurological neurochemical cocktail that just creates this really fruitful um, place for women to be um, very expressive. Um, not only that, but also read the cues of other people's emotions and expression and respond to them in the highest level um, and reach people, like influence people. So it's like this influential time period that we really need to leverage as women. If, if we can, this is when we should be doing our pitches, our strategic partnerships, our networking, our social interactions, right? This is when we should leverage that time period. Um, and then finally, we go into the grow phase. And this is the one that gets the bad rap because at the end of this, this is when PMS happens. Um, this is when women are like not excited about this phase. However, this is my favorite one. And I guess if you listen back to any of the other podcasts I've done, you're going to hear that all of them are my favorite in some way. But this one really is my favorite. One. <laughs> I'm going to stick with it. This one's my Bullshit. favorite. You said on Luke's story <laughs> podcast that you like Bloom. I don't believe it. <laughs> They're all my favorites, but this one's my favorite favorite. Um, and that's because I'm a brain nerd and I'm all about learning and I'm all about cognitive capacities and the, some really interesting things happen in this phase to the female neurology um, and cognition that women are mostly unaware of, um, but that we really need to be able to take advantage of. So a little, we'll start with kind of the bad news of this phase, which is estrogen is, you know, back on the decline. Um, progesterone's rising to a peak, which is the important part here. 
But with that, with that uh, decline of estrogen, we do get this metabolic downshifting again. So we're starting to see things slow down, slow down, slow down in terms of our energy levels, our mood, our excitatory neurotransmitters. So like this ability of like mental um, energy starts to decline as well. Um, and, you know, more and more as we get through this phase. But progesterone brings in these beautiful gifts. As progesterone rises to a peak, so does our some of these interesting neurochemicals. So our, our down regulatory neurochemical, our master down regulatory neurochemical starts to get a boost from progesterone, which is GABA. So GABA is responsible for helping us to down regulate. It's helping us to um, prepare for sleep and get restful sleep. It's also has an interaction, you know, with melatonin and the circadian rhythm and all that. Um, some really important things happen while we're sleeping, which is memory consolidation, um, kind of this uh, microglial cleanup of the brain happens during this time, anti-inflammatory action of the brain. Um, and this all gets a boost during this phase, which is really cool because at the same time, progesterone is also boosting brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Uh, let's BDNF. talk about that. Yeah. yeah. Now this is the really hormone. cool part. Yeah. <laughs> so BDNF gets a boost with progesterone, which means that women get enhanced neuroplasticity, which means the um, neural pathways of the brain are more moldable, right? So behavioral patterns are easier to change. We can learn new things at an easier level. We can change behaviors. Um, we can create new habits at a, at a higher level when um, BDNF is boosted. And at the same time, we also get a boost in neuro genesis. So not only is our brain more like moldable, we can learn more things, we're more adaptable, but our brain is literally growing new neurons at a higher rate during this phase. And it happens every month. I've got this a lot to say about phase. that. Yeah. So go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Keep going, keep going. This is, this just is the brainy phase. This is when women yeah. have this heightened ability to learn. Um, we also see that they have higher verbal acuity during this phase. If I was really smart, I would have scheduled our podcast during that phase because I would have had this higher verbal acuity, but it's all good. And, um, you know, this is something that we can learn to, to flow with. And the reason why this is my favorite phase is because, you know, I've been in school literally my entire life. Um, and I, I study and I research, this is my career, um, and I teach. And so it's really important for me to leverage these last couple of weeks of my biorhythm to learn at a higher level. I have to spend less time studying when I do it in this phase. And it's a beautiful thing when you can ebb and flow with it. But there's a catch you're only going to get those benefits. You're only going to receive those benefits and tap into them if you mind your nervous system and you mind what your body needs most during this phase, which is sleep. So the nervous system has more of a sympathetic quality to it during this phase, which means that our stress capacity is lower. We can handle less stress in our lives, emotionally, whatever, um, until it becomes an issue when the stress bucket overflows, <clears throat> the bucket is smaller during this phase. So we have to mind that. We mm. have to manage our stress better. We have to have better stress management tools. And if we can, we need to eliminate at least some of the stressors in our life during this time. And 
we have to get good quality sleep. Our body is giving us this extra boost for that to happen, but are we doing it? Yeah. Not really. What's up, guys? It's Nathan. Quick break from this amazing conversation. I wanted to tell you a little bit about the Born Free Method. We have been guiding, Sarah Rosser and I, one of the foreign midwives, we've been guiding 70 people now through the Born Free Method, which includes 12 months of weekly calls with me and Sarah. She and I have been overwhelmed um, with the abundance of clients that want us to work with them through pregnancy, from preconception all the way through childbirth into the postpartum period. And um, we decided to do this in a group coaching setting. So when you enroll with the Born Free Method, you're gonna get 12 months of weekly calls with she and I, and we've already pre-recorded 100 plus lessons on everything from birth planning to care for the newborn, to intimacy, to sacred polarities, to every intervention under the sun, including stuff that other people don't wanna touch, vitamin K, Rogam, GBS and antibiotics, history of prior C-section, um, breech birth, ultrasound, COVID, vaccines. We've covered everything under the sun. And you're going to be able to go into your birth, or if you're a birth worker, you're going to be able to counsel your clients better with all of the information. There's over 250 um, plus citations in this course. And you can go through as many times as you like. You get lifetime access and any updates come January 2024. We're going to have many, many more lessons that we add. You're going to get lifetime access to that. And as we get new information, we update the already pre-recorded lessons. So this is our magnum opus and um, people are loving it. People are really, really digging it, whether you're a birth worker, experienced or otherwise, or this is your first pregnancy or 10th pregnancy, there is plenty here for you. We are gonna be enrolling for one more month in 2023. Um, you can go to bornfreemethod.com and um, book an enrollment call. We'll get you enrolled right then and there. We won't be enrolling again until January of 2024. So go to bornfreemethod.com jump in. We want to have you in our community. It includes a private community of other like-minded people who have all of the right questions. Maybe you can share your insights. Maybe you'll learn something from the community as well. We'd love to have you. Go to bornfreemethod.com and enroll. So Kayla, what I'm really hearing about this grow phase and this, there is some magic here because progesterone is, uh, gosh, so many women in our country are taking synthetic form of progesterone, but just like synthetic oxytocin, you're not going to get the same sort of global benefits from, from just treating this beautiful molecule as something that can be substituted for a pharmaceutical agent. I mean, there's a lot going on here. So um, going back to a couple of things there. Because a lot of people now are, are wondering about sleep issues and menopause and whatnot. When they start supplementing with progesterone, suddenly, bam, they're like sleeping again. My mother's a, a perfect example. So progesterone is acting as much on your smooth muscle as your endometrial, the, the lining of your, of, your, uh, of your uterus, the endometrium, as it is in the brain. And you said it's directly through GABA that helps to kind of suppress the nervous system for lack of better terms. But then also you mentioned BDNF and Jody Paluski is a PhD and she works, um, she's a neuroscientist that looks at postpartum brains. 
And she had described some of these brain changes that happen. And on the one hand, I kind of just want to run this by you because it's so yeah. interesting to me. On the one hand, we get kind of this like mommy brain, as we call it. Every woman who's had a baby knows where you're like kind of forgetful about certain things. But Jody said, while that does happen, there's other areas of the brain that are are, are super activated, yeah. which helps you multitask, which which helps you um, know that the baby needs this at that time and my husband needs this and the stove is on over here. And yes. it's this really interesting part. Is that the hippocampus or is there some other part of the brain that's responsible for that? Uh, it's actually more about the connectivity between brain regions, um, which is a lot stronger in the female brain between these areas that you're talking about, the prefrontal cortex, the hippocampus and the hypothalamus. There are other areas too, but these are kind of the big ones that we understand as of now um, that have major modulation um, with the ebb and flow of these hormones. Now, something that's really interesting and cool is that um, just like, you know, the brain is kind of like uh, the ocean in terms of how much we know about the brain um, versus how much we know about the ocean, right? We know like maybe 5% of what there is to be explored Totally. In the ocean in the brain. Totally. Um, and so we're, we're finding new things about the brain that are like huge, have huge implications um, all the time, which is why I love to be in the field. Um, and what we have found out recently is that there are, and recently, I mean, in the last six, seven years or so. For um, as long as we've been studying women, I mean. Yeah, basically, basically, yeah. <laughs> um, so back to the beginning of women's health studies. Um, <laughs> in the ripe age of 2015, in the ripe year of 2015, it was a big year in, in yeah. medical research. <laughs> yeah, we acknowledged women. Um, <laughs> um, so what we found is that the female brain actually has high densities of receptors for estrogen and progesterone in certain areas, but there are receptors for these female hormones in the brain No, all over no, the brain. And so no. it's like, wait, why are there estrogen and progesterone receptors in the brain? And that's what sparked the whole field of looking into all of this stuff. Um, is because it was like, wait, this doesn't make any sense. These are not neurochemicals. Oh, wait. Yeah, they are. They actually are. But not only are they neurochemicals and modulate the brain, they literally modulate every other aspect of the entire female body. Amazing. So that's what's responsible for making these changes. Yeah. Those receptors... Um, you know, they, they uptake w these hormones when they ebb and flow and that change in hormones and change in how these receptors are interacting with them change the neurochemistry, the neuroelectricity and the neuroconnectivity of the female brain in Bingo. all four phases. So progesterone in pregnancy, actually estrogen and progesterone are super high. So you yeah. got all, you're like a totally new person from a neurohumoral stand, standpoint, right? Mm -hmm. After birth. I mean, mm -hmm. let alone archetypes and this transition from maiden to motherhood. Yeah. Uh, you, you are really a different, a whole different operating system. Totally. Thereafter. Totally. I mean, to add another layer of complexity to us as if we need it, right? Um, women have these four hormonal phases where there are these four different people every single month. But also, in addition to that, there are these different people throughout the life phases that they go through. You know, men have life phases as well, but they're not as significant as the female life phases in terms of it, it changes us. It yeah. changes who we are at the core. Like what you're saying, it's not just about lack of a child. Now I have a child because 
the father also has a child, but it did not change his whole biological being like it did with the, the mother. Right. Um, Right. And hmm. yeah. And then, of course, then we have to also go through the change of menopause later on, which men don't have the equivalent of menopause. Right. So we go through another significant change. So there are, you know, there's puberty where women go from, I mean, young, young girls and boys are, are very similar in their biological yeah. rhythms until puberty. And then women go off on this whole other journey. And hmm. men, men pretty much stay the same course where it's, you know, very consistent. Um, and women go on this whole ebb and flow month long journey totally for the vast totally. majority of their lives. And somewhere during that, they may or may not go through pregnancy and breastfeeding, which changes the whole game. Changes it's it a all whole over. Different, yeah. Yeah. Every single pregnancy too, like whether Everyone, or not you even have yeah. a live birth, you're going yeah. through these tremendous changes, 100%. which, which kind of sparks another corollary to this conversation, which is the honoring of women who go through miscarriages or the fertility journey. I mean, being yes. pumped, filled with synthetic hormones over and over with IUI or IVF, that is really, really hard for a woman to go through, I suspect. Yeah. Um, I, of course, have never gone through it. But I'm, I'm curious, since you brought up menopause, we have this dropping off, a precipitous dropping off yeah. of progesterone and estrogen at... I mean, it's not like overnight. It's, it's definitely yeah. a continuum. But like, you know, the, in the United States, the... Statistic I remember reading, and it may have changed now because of all the stuff in our environment and whatnot, but mm -hmm. between ages 50 and 51 is the average, yeah. or maybe the median. It's probably more like the median of when women go through this. And they probably feel like less vital. They're probably feeling a lot of that as they're entering that crone phase. But we have demonized that crone phase. Yeah. Like you're no longer useful because you're not this young, hot, sexy woman with perky boobs. So a lot of women are attracted to the HRT yeah. thing. I'm curious from your standpoint, do you think that you'll consider HRT whenever you reach that phase or do you, are you more in the camp of like, let's embrace this and change the, the narrative around it? Yeah. So I have a lot of thoughts on this. Um, and I think there's something, you know, we could have a whole other discussion around, but um it's interesting because even though we all kind of put the pedestal on this um, phase, this the longest phase of our lives as women where we are actively cycling and fertile, right? Um, we put this on a pedestal. However, we're still not even honoring that phase of our life because we're still <laughs> yeah. not allowing women to ebb and flow with their biology and physiology and honor it and lean into it and take care of it in the right way. And so we're just wringing it out and wringing it out and wringing yeah. it out. And then we end up with hormonal dysfunction somewhere in that actively cycling phase. And here's where the problems come into play, at least in the United States and other, you know, developed countries um, where our societal structures that we talked about earlier that are very male centric are causing this global issue for women which is hormonal dysfunction that is downstream of burnout and all the things that we talked about. Um, so what happens is PMS is a sign of hormonal dysfunction. However, we're young girls, we're taught from a very young age that PMS is normal and that we're, we're going to experience it every month and just like get over it and, you know, take your pills or whatever you need to do to get through it. But it's just a part of life that you have to accept wrong. That is wrong. That is misinformation. It is not normal. It is not supposed to happen. And when it does, 
and I'm saying it, it's a whole series of symptoms. When any of these things happen, it's your body telling you something is off. The hormones are not regulated. Something needs to be addressed. But guess what? We don't address it because we take the pill or we ignore it or we just deal with it. We push through whatever. And we're just like, oh, it's just PMS. And so we normalize it. We accept it. So now we go through how many years of that, right? How many years of hormonal dysfunction where we aren't even aware that we have this major hormonal dysfunction happening? And then when it's time for our body to go through this major shift of life through menopause, the um, ovarian hormones are then passing over the baton to the adrenals. But here's where we get into trouble. And here's why women need HRT. And here's why women have such a hard time and all these symptoms of menopause, which again, are not normal and do not need to happen, but they do. Right. So all this stuff happens. And again, we normalize it. We're like, oh, all women are going to go through menopause, going to be terrible. Just, you know, take your hormone replacement therapies or just deal with it. Um, It's just part of life. You have to suck it up. No, it's not true. These are signs of dysfunction. And likely this is a culmination of a whole lifetime of hormonal dysfunction that you have been ignoring. So guess what? Our ovarian hormones are barely squeaking by. They're like crawling, dried up and decrepit and like uh, trying to get across the finish line. And then they're like, okay, fine. I'm going to pass on the baton to the adrenals. And the adrenals are like, what the hell? We can't handle it. (laughs) We can't deal with this. Look how dysfunctional you are. No way. So then it becomes a whole problem, right? Yeah. If women were honored from the beginning that they are different, that PMS is not a thing, It is not something to be accepted. It's something to be very concerned about and find out what the root issue is and solve it early in the teenage years. Then they would have healthy functioning ovarian hormones, probably for a longer period of time in their life. And then when it's time to make that transition, because they've supported this major um, driver of their physiology, right? The, the ovarian hormones take on this huge role of the whole female physiology. So wow. we really need to support them and honor them and take care of them and nurture them and give them the building blocks and feed them correctly, right? We need to do that so that they can operate at their full capacity and regulate everything else that needs to be regulated mm. by them. And then when it's time for them to retire and say, okay, adrenals, take it over. The adrenals are like, cool, I've got this. This is a working system. It's not too big a problem. Yeah, things are going to change, but it's not going to be this whole ordeal that right, we have made right. it out to be. Yeah, something um, Christian Northrup, one of, you know, former OBGYN, she's in all sorts of things now. Um, something she actually taught me through her work was that... <laughs> She has a different way of phrasing it in, in sort of her own way, but she, something that she, a little a little bit of wisdom that she's learned actually having gone through menopause herself is that if you're not going to go through the full sort of um, experience of of these four phases for the 20, 30 years of your reproductive, you know, sort of, um, I don't know, the, the peak reproductive years, whatever you whatever yeah. that means to you, um, that menopause actually becomes a lot harder. But what I'm hearing from you is not that this is necessarily just some sort of cosmic way of describing it, where, whereas, you know, the return of the Chiron, you could look at it that way. But also, if you've been pushing your adrenals 
to just eking out every little bit of, pre, you know, every bit of uh, productivity from that pregnenolone and yeah. cholesterol and everything that you have. And then suddenly your ovaries can't do the job. Your adrenals are already stuck in a place of yes. no reserve. And that's why menopause is so hard for so many women. Yes. Okay. Exactly. That makes a lot more sense um, yeah. than what I was taught in residency anyway. So, <laughs> um, Wow. So we've made it through the four phases. Uh, this is one of the longer interviews I've done. Um, so let's start. Let's just, I don't know. I mean, we could do a whole separate episode. I think we'll have to, but yeah. maybe you could just give a little bit of insights into, you know, we've got the four phases. How might a person change their, just their diet and their exercise mm -hmm. programming around this? Of yeah. course, sleep is always going to be important, especially yeah. in that, that luteal phase uh, yeah. approaching menstruation. But you know, when is the best time to do high intensity exercise? Yeah. When is the best time to be eating more carbohydrate? When should we be fasting? These are the questions mm -hmm. that are so mm -hmm. popular right now. And I don't think yeah. too many people are doing great damage control with their narrative out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, especially in the field of biohacking, um, yes. <laughs> is, is very guilty of this, unfortunately, which I love my biohackers, but let's face it, the majority of them are men and they're yep. providing very damaging information for the female um, population that they're speaking to because it's not the same. And women cannot follow the same routines, structures, ways of eating, whatever. So these Amen. people... <laughs> these, these people who are mostly men out there saying carnivore and keto every single day. Cold plunge, cold plunge, sauna, red cold, light, do it yeah, all. <laughs> yeah, fast every single day. Let's every do day. a 97 day fast, whatever it is. <laughs> I don't know, but <laughs> I don't know what the, what the trend is today. Oh, but um, all of these things are great for women when applied in the right timing. So it's just a timing issue. And without going into all of the details of everything, I'll just give a few examples that I think are, yeah, are prominent out there um, that are really well researched, which by the way, we have to put a caveat, really well researched for men. <laughs> that's the truth, right? Things like fasting and ketogenic diet. Let's just go there. So a super low carb diet has shown amazing metabolic benefits and hormonal benefits and cognitive benefits and all of these things, right? Um, and all of that research has been done on men, mm. all of it. So when your favorite biohacker is out there saying this data and that data and blah, 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 and do this thing, if you're a man, you're probably okay to follow that recommendation and you can look at that data and it probably applies to you. If you're a woman, please take it with a grain of salt Receive and understand, <laughs> yes, understand that these things can be applied at certain time periods if you do it in a smart way. If you understand your metabolism, your metabolic needs, and how to feed your hormones and support your hormones at different phases of the cycle when each hormone is important to focus on. Then you can figure out where is the good timing to actually apply this. So in terms of fasting, the only safe time for a woman to do, be doing like intermittent fasting or even a longer term fast, 24, 48, 72 hours, is during menstruation, which is the opposite of what wow. you would think. Yeah. Yeah. Me. Me. For sure. Me. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because why? A couple of things. 
It's the lowest hormonal phase. In this phase, our body is not concerned with producing estrogen and progesterone. Because uh -huh. we okay? have a bo so bottoming that. out of all four of those big hormones. Yeah. Yep. So low hormonal phase. So you're not going to harm your hormones by doing that in that phase. Second thing, we have a lower caloric need during that phase because our whole metabolism shifts down. So we actually need less calories during that phase. So it's okay if you skip breakfast, for instance. You can eat a little less calories during that phase and you can you can extend your um, non-food window in a safe way. And then, yeah, you can get all the cool stuff of autophagy and blah, 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 whatever, you know, all the stuff that fasting does that I acknowledge it does do. However, it also burns out our hormones if we are women, if we do it in the wrong time period. So what we actually are finding now, and there's a little bit of research out there, but you're not going to find it. It's not like published in the major journals yet, um, showing that women who maintain a fasting routine over a long period of time um, start to burn out their their sex hormones. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, this is starting to become a more um, understood uh, phenomenon. And um, from a metabolic perspective, I understand it completely um, when we know the different phases. So if you want to do your fasting routine, awesome, but please just be careful what timing you're using each thing. Um, the other one is the super low carb or ketogenic diet. Keto diet is is great and ketones are great and we know that this other metabolic um, fuel that we have is is the preferred one for the brain all of that is true um, and ketosis is a great process and uh, so many benefits right i'm not here to to totally. um, say that Mindy that's is, is grinding her teeth right now <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I love Mindy. Um, she's, I do too. She's actually, I want to have her on the yeah. podcast actually, yeah. but yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I, I love Mindy and definitely check out her stuff. And she's got some amazing stuff about menopause and hormones and all that and like going through the shift. So definitely check out her stuff too. Um, but what I'm saying is the keto diet is also shown to be damaging for women for the same reasons. The female body and the female hormones require a carbohydrate refeeding period that happens actually at the end of the grow phase. Um, and so when we don't give our body kind of that restoring period, we don't have the right metabolic and hormonal building blocks to carry us healthily through the rest of the phases. So, um, a ketogenic diet is actually appropriate for the first half of the female hormone cycle. There's a lot of reasons why, but one reason why is that um, fat metabolism is heightened during that time period. And so our body actually metabolizes and utilizes fat more efficiently during that time period. So then if we eat more of a ketogenic diet at that time, so that's like the first whole two weeks, um, we can actually perpetuate and get more benefits from the ketosis and all of that. Um, and then our body goes through a shift in about the third week where it is, per, it is shifting to um, a higher metabolism of, um, of, of, uh, proteins, sorry. And so there's more protein synthesis and, and so that's um, your muscle building phase. Yeah. In of. a way, it, in a way, it's not like 
so sometimes there's a delay with these things, right? So um, we actually would want to do more of like our hit type workouts at the peak of ovulation or around that time period um, because our, our energetic and metabolic um, capacities can handle it. And also our nervous system has more of a parasympathetic quality to it. And so we have more of that stress bucket to fill up. Um, and then, so yes, during that time period, and that is when this protein synthesis starts to ramp up um, and then or protein metabolism starts to ramp up and then it's really during the first week of the grow phase that protein is kind of this um, preferred uh, fuel in a way it's not that simple but we'll, we'll say that just for basic understanding today um, and then the the final week there is a shift in the need of the body where the overall caloric requirement is, is actually higher and there's more need for carbohydrate refeeding to prepare the body for the winter phase that is coming in phase one and the slower metabolic phase. So it's feeding into that process. Um, so that's kind of like the general flow of it and why doing these kind of dieting routines doesn't work well for women. Um, you can tell me any diet out there and I'll tell you um, that there is an appropriate phase to apply that and, and not. So there is no like one way of eating consistently that will ever work for any woman um, and help her to reach the goals that she's trying to achieve. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for those listening, if you're kind of new to this sort of uh, dieting conversation, ketogenesis is when we are, or, or a ketogenic diet is a carbohydrate restricted diet versus true fasting, which is caloric restricted diet, just for anybody out there kind of curious. Um, so given what you just said, it sounds like, I mean, kind of going back to the different phases, our ovulatory period is really when the, you said high intensity interval training, that's when we can go hardest in the gym. Yeah. And not during menstruation, but we can also fast during menstruation. So we have, yes. we can play around with this a little bit. Um, yeah. When, when would you say, I, I guess exercise during menstruation is probably when you would say you should do the minimal exercise. Yeah. Is that right? Because you're in like yeah, a more a, of a restorative focus. And the biggest okay. thing is let's be smart about how we allocate our resources in menstruation right. in terms of energy and uh, neurological energy, right, or mood, all of those things, we have less resources in phase one. So we need to allocate them in a smart way. If we need to use those resources to do certain things that are required of us, then we don't have enough to also push it hard in the gym. Mm. So yeah. let's just understand that our reserves are less in certain uh, phases, our resources are greater or smaller in certain phases and think about it in that way. How can I allocate these in each phase in a really smart way? That's really what it's about. Amazing. Oh gosh, Kayla. Um, I have taken up a lot of your time today and I really appreciate it. There are a variety of other topics that I think we could get into. Um, why don't we maybe put a pause on a conversation around HPA axis dysfunction? Because now we're then we're kind of getting into the weeds. Yeah. I you probably know this, so you could guess. I do 
quite a number of Dutch tests, which mm -hmm. everybody, it's super controversial now, but man, have I been able to get to the root cause of some people's issues by looking at some of those metabolic pathways. Yeah. Um, do you have any sort of inclination towards like for or against the Dutch test or is there something better out there that you, that you want to plug? I'm just curious because I've, yeah. I've found it very helpful to my practice. The Dutch in my mind is the gold standard because okay. you're getting the dry urine metabolites. Yes. And really that's what you want. Even if you do like a micronutrient panel, I use the Genova, um, uh, Nutra eval test, because they also, even when, uh, when you're looking at micronutrients, you know, all of your vitamins and minerals, you want to look at the dry urine. In addition, you can look at the blood, but you really want to look at the dry urine, um, especially for, for a vast majority of those, um, because then you're actually understanding how does the body metabolize yeah, things. Yeah, and that's yeah. the key. And that's what the Dutch gives us for the hormones that a blood test is not going to give. Yeah. Um, and the Dutch offers really cool options in terms of you can even map out the whole cycle by taking several um, uh, uh, measurements throughout an entire cycle. So they have like a cycle mapping thing that's going to show you your yep. hormones over over um, over all the different phases, which would be really cool to take a look at and see where you are and see if your hormones are following the pattern that you would expect that we talked about today. Um, and then you can do the point in time, which still gives you those metabolites. So it's telling you how is the body metabolizing these hormones and where is there um, dysfunction happening in these metabolic uh, steps yeah. that have to occur. Yeah. 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 We're talking like phase one, phase two metabolism, which is sometimes up even above my pay grade. I mean, I happen to know a lot about this because I used yeah. to do a lot of opioid prescribing and benzodiazepine mm -hmm. prescribing as an end of life doctor. But man, I mean, when you start to see what, how the body is handling the hormones and where stoichiometrically we get a backup of too much of something, why is it too much? It's not because you're making too much. It's because you have a slow metabolism. Yeah. And then we look at some of these feedback loops and you can kind of put the whole story together. And now with what, yeah. what you can learn at Her Biorhythm through your courses, I can lay that on top of what they're doing from a, an energetic standpoint, um, yeah. whether it's energy in through food or energy out through exercise or activity or even mental energy, mm -hmm. it all starts to kind of make sense. But this is, this is like some really, really challenging functional medicine. So I'm yeah. really, really grateful that you've put the course together because I think it's a perfect compliment to anybody out there who does Dutch tests or whatever. Yeah. I have no affiliation with Dutch. I just either I just, do I. I just, I just love, love it. it. Yeah. yeah. Just, okay, <laughs> disclaimer. Um, one final thing that I wanted to ask Kayla before we sign off is about seed cycling. Mm. Um, seeds and seed oils have been demonized a fair bit over the past, yeah. uh, let's say several years. I mean, it's been a recent thing and I think it's good that we're getting seed oils out of our diet. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. However, I've also used seed cycling for women who do have issues in the, uh, let's just say in their experience of these different four phases of yeah. their cycle, they sometimes will regulate very, very easily mm -hmm. through seed cycling. So yeah. what say you? I mean, like, should we be eating <laughs> all of these seeds? And why the hell is it working so yeah. well? <laughs> um, it, the reason why I like seed cycling is because, um, you know, when I teach about the female metabolism and then and the um, biochemistry and, you know, conversions of macros into fuel for the body, that all that is so complex and um, it can be hard to understand. 
But a lot of women can understand, oh, I take a tablespoon of this specific seed in weeks one and two of my cycle, um, these two seeds, and then I take a tablespoon of these other seeds in weeks three and four. Um, perfect. In in these other in the in the last uh, two weeks, and I start to feel better. And yeah. the reason why is because of the metabolic shifts and requirements that are changing in the body. And because each progesterone and estrogen, which each has a different time period when it takes the focus in the cycle in terms of product or production of those things, um, we have to provide the right building blocks. And what's happening is that these building blocks are not either they're missing or they're being used up for other things, usually the adrenal process. Um, So when we can provide, um, for instance, we can provide the vitamin E and zinc um, that come from the sunflower and sesame seeds, then we can help with the progesterone production. And that kind of gives some of those building blocks for the progesterone production. So in the final two weeks, you can do a tablespoon of each of these um, and kind of support your uh, progesterone production during the luteal phase, which again is, you know, those last couple of weeks. During the first couple of weeks is the follicular phase. um, And that includes the menstruals. But right now we're just talking about follicular, which is the first half. so for the first couple of weeks, you can support estrogen product, uh, production by giving those building blocks. And those are really um, the seeds that are containing the polyphenols and also zinc again, which I'm going to talk about zinc in a minute um, in another way, which is really important. Sure. Um, so when you're giving uh, the polyphenols and the zinc, it helps to support the estrogen production. Um, and so it can be really helpful. And one thing I would add to the seed cycling is in the middle there, you know, remember when we get to that really hormonally juicy place in our cycle right in the middle, that's when we need hormone detox support. And this yep. goes more into the Dutch and, and all of those phase one, phase two, metabolism, all that, right? We don't need to know that for now. But what we need to know is that when you have all these juicy hormones, you need to be able to detox those. Otherwise, they can turn into toxic forms of estrogen, for instance, that then can be downstream carcinogenic and that can cause problems later on. Okay. Um, so what we want to do here is simple things. We can do things that help us to detox. We can, you know, take detox supplements. We can do sauna, whatever. But the best thing that we can do is increase our soluble fiber. So I would add that into kind of the middle section. Somewhere about a week, you want to increase that soluble fiber. And you could do, you know, your metamucil or whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter. But um, increase that soluble fiber to help to detox those hormones. Um, Now, going back to zinc. The interesting thing about zinc, it it is one of the metabolic cofactors required in the conversion of all the different acids through the citric acid cycle. 
So zinc is required in order to convert one of the acids to another, to another, to another, right? Through that whole cycle. And then it as, a, ends as a cofactor for the enzymes within that, there's like yes. se 17 enzymes. I, I remembered yes. it one time in med school, but never had yeah. to think about it again, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's very complex, but it's yeah. easy to think about in this way. There are certain cofactors that are required in order to convert our food into fuel for the body. Zinc is one of them. Now, this is why it's important. Zinc is also depleted by stress and chronic stress. So guess what happens? We have chronic stress. It uses up all of our zinc. Not only is our zinc that not there then to help create energy and fuel for the cells in the body, but it's also being stolen away. And as you can see here, it's really important for both progesterone and estrogen production. So now we start to see, we go back to that hormonal trifecta, when you have the stress pillar revved up, you're knocking out the other two, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you believe in pregnenolone steel or do you feel like it's a little bit more complex than that? It, it's not a steel. Um, it, I like I like it because it does simplify something that's very complex in sure. a way that is useful, but that's not exactly what's happening. Um, yeah. And again, I don't think it's so important to understand all of the complexity for the general woman. Um, I do think our medical doctors should learn this um, <laughs> <laughs> at the very least. Guilty. But, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I, I, there's a lot of complexity there. I think what we should do is um, I would love to have a conversation between you, me, and Dr. Nasha Winters. And Hell we yeah. could like go super far down this rabbit hole. And um, that conversation, I think, would blow people's mind. <laughs> Next time, we'll have Kayla, Dr. Osterhoff, whenever you're a doctor, we'll have you back mm -hmm. on. And yeah. uh, and we'll bring, if you can introduce me to Nasha Winters, that, that would be yes, very kind of you. Thank you. Um, Kayla, man, this has been a fun journey. I knew it was going to be fun, but I did not realize we'd be just like pulling up stones and solving the world's problems. <laughs> yes. Um, thank hashtag you for besties. Hashtag besties. Yeah. Georgia, here we come. come um, <laughs> Kayla, how can people find you? I know, uh, you're on Instagram. You've got your mm -hmm. course just real quickly. Give that riff, you know, riff on that a little bit. Sure. And then we'll, uh, of course have more time to unpack things in our next chat. Yeah. Um, you know, after you hear this podcast, if you want to hear more that I've done, you can just search my name in, in Apple Podcasts or wherever you go. Um, YouTube, there's a lot of stuff there. Um, on Instagram, um, my hash or my uh, tag is at BioCuriousKayla, not to be confused with BioCuriousKayla. Some people have made that mistake. A little different. Um, yeah. yeah, a little bit different. <laughs> you know, curious about the biology, you get it. Um, so at BioCurious underscore Kayla on the socials. Um, my website is herbiorhythm.com. And um, just be sure to check that spelling of rhythm. And there you'll find lots of information about the female biorhythm. There's a lot of free resources there. Um, and then I have a few courses um, if you're interested to dive deeper and go, go down the rabbit hole with us. <laughs>
I wish, I wish every, I feel like everybody who's going to do any sort of women's health, family medicine, internal medicine, and OBGYNs in particular, probably should just take your course. Yeah. It's not even unreasonably priced and it doesn't take that much time, but it's so packed full that, like I said, I've taken all of your references and I've gone and looked at all of those and cross-referenced to tr try to really understand this because my clients, yeah. like they're really depending on us practitioners to learn this. So I hope anybody out there listening, if you're a midwife, if you're a doctor, whatever, just go and take Kayla's program. Um, it's, it is a real, um, it's a gift. It really is. It's a gift to this community. And Kayla, I appreciate your time. Your, your time is a gift to me. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure and I can't wait for more conversations to come. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for tuning in another amazing episode of the Holistic Abidjan podcast. Under wraps, if you want to find me, Nathan Riley, I'm the host. I am an MD. I'm a fellow of ACOG, meaning I'm board certified OB-GYN. I'm also a board certified hospice and palliative care physician. You can find all of my services and products at belovedholistics.com, including an online shop with discount codes for all of the brands that are at the top of their category from water and hydration to supplements to um, courses. I mean, there's so much there. So go check that out. I also offer private consultation. You can buy packages. I'm also, um, of course, the PRP fertility program is open to all comers. You can find all of that at belovedholistics.com. If you're a midwife and you need collaboration from a physician, I got you. Go to Beloved Holistics. You'll find everything there. If you guys are enjoying the podcast, please support the sponsors. If you haven't left a five-star review, please go do that. It really, really means a lot. And lastly, if something in this episode touched you, share it with somebody that you love. I'm sure that they're going to love it too. We'll see you next week right back here on the Holistic OBGYN podcast. Take care and do no harm. Take no shit. Bye-bye, everybody. Mm -hmm.